Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller. Welcome back to another Service Management Leadership Podcast. I have a returning guest, Harinder Bensal. He was with us with the Global ITAM Summit. He is an IT procurement expert. Harinder, welcome. Thank you, Jeffrey. Welcome, welcome. So you are, your topics are very popular right now with all the supply chain issues. I mean, everybody's having those issues. We've had them for the last several months, maybe the last couple of years. IT procurement, hot topic. How'd you get, how'd you get into this field? You didn't, you don't go to university to say, hey, I want to be a procurement expert or leader, do you? Well, I'm seeing signs of that changing, Jeffrey. Um, there's a, uh, you know, SIPs uh, accredited degrees out there now where if you pursue a degree in a commercial topic, you can come out at the end of it being accredited with the procurement institution. Um, but there's lots of uh, work to do in that space. But I agree. Uh, when I was growing up, I didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I only want a job in procurement because there are no other jobs out there. Um, but thanks for having me back on, Jeffrey. It's a pleasure to be here. IT procurement is a topic that I'm passionate about. Um, I actually started off as a mechanical engineer. So I studied this topic at uh, Brunel University in West London. And it turned out this wasn't a career for me. And I fell into procurement like many other people. Uh, but I'm really glad it happened and, and I haven't looked back. And I guess from my perspective, I was attracted to the profession because because of its focus on value for money and, and building positive relationships with people. And all of these things resonated with me at the time. And I've been very fortunate uh, enough to learn from uh, some of the great minds in procurement. And I'm inspired to see lots of procurement teams really pushing the boundaries on things like sustainability in ESG to make sure that we remain relevant. And I and I want to plug uh, my friend Roman Zhurevlev, who's really pushing this from the ITIL side. Uh, you know, from I I'm just appreciating we pushing those conversations. Now, does that always mean we have actions in sustainability? No, but let's just having conversations and pushing those to the fore. I think is a great first step. Yeah, absolutely. The more we talk about it. Hopefully that builds momentum and then we can see some positive change. And so on that note, there are a lot of hot topics in procurement, supply chain shortages, price hikes. Price hikes have been huge, at least in the conversations I've had recently, whether hardware or software. You know, there are a lot of other topics. What are some of the other pertinent topics? You mentioned sustainability, but what are some of the other ones that because it's not just all shortages and that sort of thing. It's much broader, correct? That's right. Um, things that won't ever go away are things like software publisher audits, um, and that will always be a, a focus area, not only for procurement, but IT asset managers too, and they tend to be you know, uh, on top of these things. Um, what I'll say on audits is it tends to be a topic well covered elsewhere. So what I'll try and do is raise some other issues, uh, Jeffrey, that I see. Um, so I guess just to set the scene, the three topics I wanted to highlight today is the topic of shadow IT and how that affects us in procurement, uh, IT contracts and increasing costs. 
I don't think I can answer the question without talking about costs. So IT procurement teams, just like ITAM, they want to understand everything that a company has purchased or plans to purchase. So it can ensure that good practice is adhered to and the right level of due diligence has been taken up front. And examples of due diligence might be things like data processing, impact assessments, or cybersecurity assessments. That's, that's great. But what I want to highlight here is when these teams don't know about those things, a better known term such as shadow IT, because given the increased proliferation of cloud services on the market and the uptake of these, it just increases the risk of not knowing what you have. So it's not just a legal or cybersecurity risk, it's a potential cost, uh, cost inefficiency problem, if I can call it that, because how would you know if your users across your international company are using 10 or 15 of the same project management tool? You know, right. you wouldn't know because it hasn't gone through your process. But fast forwarding that, once you've done the hard work to understand your estate, from a procurement perspective, you can then start to think about, right, how do we consolidate those applications that are in use? How do we consolidate to a single provider to get better pricing and terms through some sort of enterprise license agreement? But to do that, you need to really get your arms around um, the, the, the topic of what you're buying and what you're consuming. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the first topic. The second topic was from my perspective, the need to have uh, a centralized contracts database. So building on um, what I mentioned around cloud services um, and the continual increase of these, one of the key issues here is what contract terms an organization and provider actually signs up to. So what I mean by that is usually companies will insist on having a formal contract in place uh, and then that that gets put in place and signed and you actively manage it. But some of your listeners, Jeffrey, may have come across a scenario where let's say you want to use some cloud services, you may be faced with a, a little gray box on your computer screen and it says, click here please and confirm that uh, you agree to our terms of use and privacy policies. These are called click wrap agreements and they tend to be more favorable to the provider. And I guess the risk or the concern here is that if people in an organization just click these things without engaging procurement um, or IT or, or legal, then you potentially bypass all of your key stakeholders and your internal controls. And so the other concern also is when you click that button, who are you accepting those terms on behalf of? Is it just a user or are you accepting it on behalf of the whole organization? So that's the trend that I'm seeing, Jeffrey, where um, you get these boxes that pop up now and again, and there's only one person in a company that, that sees that. Um, so that's that. The, the other thing just to build on that, Jeffrey, is that's called a click wrap, but there are other variations of that. So there's something called a browser wrap agreement, which mm -hmm. don't tend to require clicking a box, but by virtue of consuming that software, you accept those terms. And there's also shrink wrap or variations of the same same topic. Um, so those that, that's two. I, I guess the other one I wanted to mention 
is cost. So I don't think I can answer this question, Jeffrey, without mentioning inflation and the impact this is having on IT contracts. So the CPI index, so that's called the consumer price inflation, has reached 9% in the United, United Kingdom and it reached 9% back in April, and it remains high. And this is a trend you know, across most developed countries. And CPI was at its highest since the 1990 recession. So what does that mean for a procurement standpoint? Well, it means that it, it's got the potential to raise increased prices because, and it also lowers your purchasing power, just like it would do with your household bills. This will obviously have an impact of uh, the cost of running IT, IT teams in companies, and it will also shine the spotlight on how these teams are achieving value for money, given those costs are increasing, and whether value is being achieved from its continued investments. So I guess in a nutshell, Jeffrey, what I see is shadow IT, the need for centralized contracts is greater than ever, as well as um, cost increases due to inflation. Long so answer. Yeah. And what's interesting about the inflation part is it compounds like interest. So it's 9% this year and 9% next year. Those are, are stacking on. And I want to give you a story, Harinder, that you will laugh at. I worked at over the asset and other functions for a large, large consulting firm. And they would have shadow IT do the you know, bring in their own cloud around the, uh, you know, the, the main mechanism. And the only way that security and others would know about it is it show up on their P card, their personal credit card, you know, for the company. And then you're always in retro trying to catch up. And so you lose all of the advantages that Harinder just mentioned. And this was at a large scale. And, uh, I won't say it's scary, but it when you don't have that control over any of those pieces, it is scary. Yeah, it, it is scary. And companies still rely on PCAS, Jeffrey. Um, I think it has its place. You can mm -hmm. use it as a, an insurance or a backstop because in effect, it could be a an, an efficiency measure of how, how well your first line of defense controls are working. So if those are working perfectly, you shouldn't actually see anything on your PCAS you don't already know about. Right. But when you're having to pull it off of a, a credit card statement, it's never great. Right. And, yeah. you know, and it's just one of those things. And so when we look at global supply chain issues and you mentioned some of the factors, what are some of the things that organizations can do to mitigate whether it's the price increases or the shortages or something along that way? Yeah. Good question, Jeffrey. Um, if I go through the, the risks that are highlighted, um, start, starting with shadow IT, it's worth recognizing that just because there's stuff out there that we don't know about, it doesn't mean anything bad is happening right. per se, but it's stuff that is lurking in the shadows, hence the term shadow IT, and you just don't know. So you always want to be on the front foot of discovering what you have to alleviate any of those concerns. And when it comes to uh, mitigation and what good practice looks like from my perspective i believe that organizations that invest in the right personnel and tooling that's dedicated to discovering these things whether it's on-premise software or cloud services are well positioned 
to be on the front foot and proactively discover anything that has been purchased or consumed across the business. And, and like you say, uh, for international companies spanning cities and countries around the world, it, this is a must have. So um, with the right processes, you can succeed in this space and help discover blind spots for our friends in cybersecurity to make sure that they're comfortable, for example, with the security posture of these vendors. Um, the second risk that I spoke about was the need for contracts and potentially investing in a contracts management system. It's certainly benefited us and, and throughout my career when we've had one, um, because it can provide a single truth of your contracts um, and allow you to capture important data fields, such as when contracts expire, key dates within a contract, such as termination notices, um, as well as total committed spend. So you, an organization understands uh, its exposure. Um, and, and the final one, Jeffrey, I wanted to mention is costs. So by using this uh, contracts management tool uh, and getting your contracts in order, you can then start to identify which contracts have exposure to inflation or high risk of high inflation. Uh, and when, when you see that visibility, it's important then to, to inform your relevant business stakeholders so they understand that price risk and as well as the, the budget owners of a contract or a service. And if you imagine, Jeffrey, we've, we've got, say, a thousand contracts and 300 of those uh, have been identified as having high inflation exposure. That's very powerful because then you can take proactive action around um, what you're going to do about it. So as a procurement team, we might then start thinking in advance, well, how can we negotiate to minimize these increases? What can we offer in return, such as a longer term deal to find those win-win outcomes with vendors? But you also help other key stakeholders such as finance, because if they are aware in advance that costs are rising, then they can build that into their forecasts and accruals in such a way that they can then think about contingency budgets and mobilizing funds quickly to, to take on this challenge. Yes, and I think back to Southwest Airlines is huge here in the US. And back 20, 30 years ago, they saw this coming, not this specific time, but they saw things coming that, how do we, how do we insulate ourselves? And so they took hedges against fuel because, you know, for airlines, that's a big variable cost. And so just having the contracts and knowing, hey, we are exposed in the 2023 budget cycle, we're exposed on these. How can we mitigate it? There may be some things as a business that can be done to just insulate a little bit of that exposure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, when it comes to cost increases and inflation, one thing I will say is that it's important that organizations don't just blindly accept these increases without challenging them. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll say that, Jeffrey, because I'm starting to hear stories now of vendors claiming that they need increases due to inflation, but then when they're challenged, they can't then actually provide any evidence or an explanation on the specific costs of the organization that are being impacted. And if they can't do that, for me, that's a red flag because it's almost like they're jumping on the bandwagon because other vendors are who actually need those increases. I know many organizations in different industries that do that. They have said, our costs aren't going up, but the whole everybody's raising prices. So guess what? 
we are too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not saying I blame them. I'm just saying we have to be cognizant of it, right? Everybody's got their own business to run. I don't want to second guess somebody else's business, but we all have to make sure that we incentivize our own behaviors appropriately. So here we are in August, 2023 budget cycles are coming up. We are already starting to look ahead. And so we've talked about the inflation. We've talked about cost. We've talked about a lot of different important aspects. What are some of the things that we can start doing now to be prepared for that 2023 budget cycle, whether it's the inflation side or some of the other trends? Good question, Jeffrey. You're testing me today. Um, <laughs> I would say uh, ensure that you are aware of where there is that price increase risk in your contracts and budget accordingly. So it's important to inform cost center owners um, and, and feel free to use economic and inflation forecasts to build in that intelligence into those budgets because there will be that variability, but um, we can also make best use of what the forecasts say and make a sensible judgment. Um, I would also uh, recommend uh, identifying types of contracts um, and whether these are um, fixed price professional services engagements or software contracts which have those fixed and variable cost elements to it because it's the variable cost element that in times like this which are really hard to predict and these could be linked to things beyond your understanding such as costs of number of pages visits or website data ingestion um, what you want to do is try and try your best to have a snapshot moment on what those costs could look like. Um, because typically variable costs aren't uh, forecasted very well going into budgeted, uh, budgeting cycles. Um, one thing I wanted to highlight, um, Jeffrey, was um, that it's important to look outside your company. What are the trends that other, organization, or other organizations see? Um, and I noted from the something called the business Continuity Institute, what their top five risks were that they identified. And in their order, going into next year, um, the number one risk remains non-occupational diseases, mm. COVID and pandemic, um, cyber attacks and breaches, um, um, IT and telecom outages, regulatory changes, and extreme weather events. And you could certainly believe the last one, given uh, it's very relevant in recent times with heat waves and fires all across the world. Mm -hmm. Certainly where I'm based in the UK, we've experienced a high number of these events, which is quite unusual. So these are the risks that an external uh, institute such as the BCIC, the next thing is how do we then dovetail that into a budgeting cycle? Um, so it would be prudent to think about what finance contingencies would need to be put in place for those things. So can I even offer somewhere some whether it's the appearance of or the reality of putting some contracts back out for rfp just to try to gain back a little bit of the that control yeah absolutely uh, it's worth scanning uh, your contracts database to see which supplies you've worked with for the same service uh, for a number of years and you know don't be afraid to challenge them um you go out to RFP, continually benchmark the, the terms, the service, the arrangements, the costs uh, to, to assure yourselves that you're getting the best value uh, uh, because it's more important than ever. Yes. I just 
everything's leverage and and that's a bad word and i get it but with high inflation we as the consumers have zero leverage and so sometimes we have to pull some of that back at least that's my view yeah it's 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 a tough gig and you, you do want to maximize your position best you can um in, in an assertive but fair way as well because right. you know some of these vendors that you work with are partners and they provide strategic um, services or products to you um, but it's important to not be afraid of leverage and maximizing your position because the one thing as we begin closing that i have learned over my many years is that they are they meaning the software publishers the cloud providers the hardware providers they are much more skilled much more trained at selling than we are as buying and we have to understand and appreciate that I would say subtlety, but I don't even think it's subtle. Yeah, it's a really good point you raised, Jeffrey. And as you say, IT IT software sales professionals, they have thousands of pounds or, or dollars worth of training and, and they are excellent at what they do. But that's also where we've seen the rise of procurement institutions around the world to counter that challenge. Mm-hmm. So certainly the, um, the, the SIPs, the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply, institute um is somewhere where you can get that procurement training to make sure that you're well equipped with those supplier conversations and i appreciate you plugging them just for people that don't know about it uh but i just i had you know when you have those aha moments and you're sitting at a table full of salespeople and you're like these people are really good at even knowing which chair to sit at so that they are have the most powerful position next to the whoever they think is the decision maker. And when you have that aha moment, it strikes you that they are much more prepared than than the organization is. Yeah, they're, they're great people to learn from. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it just increases the need for training and development for, for people in this area. Yes, I agree. So as we begin to close, is there any passing guidance that you would like to share with us in this that we haven't covered that because I know there are a lot of organizations struggling, you know, budgets are, are static. They have the inflation pressure. Any last guidance that you'd like to share? Famous last words. Um, also, don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, the pandemic has, has really helped bring the, uh, the global procurement community closer together. And I've certainly seen more effective use of LinkedIn, for example, and networking opportunities. Um, they, you know, pages have been created in the last year on on these platforms to help people, as you say, in a challenging time. Um, what I would also suggest is um, for people to reach out to their procurement contact to see how they can help, um, because I'm biased, but I believe that they are uniquely positioned um, in organizations to match internal requirements with external solutions. Um, I would also suggest keep up with your training and development plans. It's important to have that that in place, um, but it comes from within. You really have to drive it um, and say to yourself, what do you want to know in a year's time? And make sure you equip yourself with that knowledge to succeed. Um, and just to close, there, Jeffrey, I, I would be more than happy if uh, any of your listeners wanted to reach out to me if they're struggling or, or unsure who to speak to. Or even if they just want to bounce some ideas around. I appreciate that. I really do. And 
is there besides LinkedIn where this will be tagged? Is there any other way people can uh, contact you or is that the best way? Uh, that's probably the best way to be honest. I tend to to look at it quite regularly because I enjoy reading your posts, Jeffrey. <laughs> I'm probably more active than most on LinkedIn. And it's because I see a lot of people struggling. The reason I put out content is I, I hear about and I see a lot of people struggling. I'm like, my my career is finite. All of our careers are finite. And I'm like, how can I help people do their job better? How can I help them grow? How can I help them be successful? And so that's the mindset I go into everything with because, you know, we only have so many more years left in our career and you would want them to be meaningful for someone else, not just a paycheck. Yeah, completely agree. I really like that. And so that's why you see me put out all this stuff. And I apologize to everyone if it's too much noise, but it's, it's how do we, how do we raise what we do? How do we raise our game? How do we help others along the way? And so that's, that's what drives me. I know that sounds kind of cheesy and goofy, but it's how do we, how do we help others and along? Cause I didn't have anybody helping me. And so I want to make sure I help others much more. And so they benefit. So anyway, that's, that's my why. So Harinder, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, audience. And uh, we'll have him back on because these are issues that are uh, relevant. And I think they'll be relevant 10 years from now. And so, because these are not going away. So have a great day, Harinder, And thank you once again. Thank you, Jeffrey.